Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Cole. through the first time, turn around, shake hands with as many as possible. Lift it right up now and sing out Heavenly Sunshine. sight to see you. Let's sing it through the second time and really lift it up now in heavenly sunshine. Really? 
Friends of the radio audience, this radio ministry is possible only because so many of you share with us this burden for proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ to all people, and because you're doing your part in this radio gospel ministry. May God bless you richly for your faithfulness. Perhaps God is speaking to some of you listeners today to join us in this work, and we would be so happy to hear from you as well.
might be curious as to what book the chorus choir is singing from. Well, they're singing from the old-fashioned Revival Hour Chorus Songbook. Isn't it a beautiful-looking book as they hold it up here and, and sing to you these marvelous, wonderful numbers? Honey, are you ready for the letters? Go right ahead, Mrs. Fuller. Already. Good letters today for you, friends. As I read the letters from week to week, I mean the sheafs of them that come down to me, I feel a great bond of fellowship with you. I rejoice with you in your joys, and I sympathize with you in your sorrows. Many of you are very, very wonderful folks, and your courage and faith are amazing. From a hospital in Connecticut, a lady writes, Dear Dr. Fuller, Two weeks ago tonight, as I was driving to church, a car suddenly made an abrupt left-hand turn over the middle lane into my car, demolishing its wheel and sending it careening across the street to land me here in hospital with a gashed head and broken bones. Yesterday, among my mail, was your heart-to-heart talk and the poem, I Needed the Quiet. Can you imagine how utterly appropriate and welcome it was? Curious how hard it is for us to learn. About every ten years I have a crisis of this kind. Now I'm going to let the Lord tend my days instead of doing it myself. I feel I have learned my lesson. From Michigan, dear Brother Fuller, I haven't written for such a long time, but I am a widow woman and I work so hard for a living. But I want you to know that I just can't find words to explain what the old-fashioned revival hour does mean to me, for my life has so few pleasures. I always arrange to be by my radio, and I look forward to it. It rests and refreshes me both spirit and body, in both spirit and body. A young boy writes a good letter, dear Dr. Fuller. I am twelve years old, and I am glad I am a Christian. My mother's a Christian, and we have such good times studying the Bible together. I have a paper route, and I save up my money for school, but I give one-tenth for the Lord's work. My father, I'm sorry to say, is an awful drunkard. I try to love him, but I just can't respect him. I pray he may be saved and our home made a happy one. But he won't go to church, and he won't listen to your program. My mother and older brother and I always listen. God can deal with my father, and I believe he will be saved in answer to our prayers. I don't know what we would do without the program. We always listen, and we learn very much each time about the Bible. This last letter from the Midwest, dear Reverend Fuller. We have a new young pastor, a very good preacher and a hard worker, to build up our church and to interest our young people. He told us that he was converted while listening to the old-fashioned revival hour when he was still in high school. He was out in the Pacific during World War II, and he heard your program out there, and it helped him to grow. And many of the soldiers were interested to listen, too. He came home and trained for the ministry, and I know he will make a good worker in God's vineyard. One more Christian worker, one by the hour we love. And that is all for today, friends.
song sheets number 129 and stand and sing rescue the perishing let's all stand glad to see such a wonderful audience here today in the municipal auditorium pretty close to 4,000 people here two verses of rescue the perishing Son Dan will lead us in prayer. Let us all pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the many blessings which we who live in America are privileged to receive from Thy hand. 
Father, we do thank Thee for shelter and for clothing, for food, for law and order, and for families and friends. And we thank Thee for this privilege of preaching the gospel and for hearing the gospel preached without the fear of being molested. Father, today we would pray especially that wisdom might be given to the leaders of our land. O Lord, we would claim the promise of thy word which says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of thee, and that thou wilt give to all men liberally without upbraiding. We would also pray for our fighting men in Korea, that thou wilt encourage them and uplift them in these terribly hard days. We also pray for the loved ones they have left behind. We pray for all of those who have had to say goodbye in these past eight weeks. We pray that thou wilt comfort them and encourage them. And now as the message goes forth in a few minutes on this broadcast, we pray it might quicken many hearts to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior for the first time. For we ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. And now the quartet sings, Jesus is Mine. Hiding the light that round me would shine Still hope's sweet song is thrilling my soul For Jesus the Lord is mine Really sweet hope to sing Jesus is mine He is mine The through shade and shine Though friends betray Though sorrows fall Grieve me onward I go Jesus trusting through all Revival Hour from the Municipal Auditorium at Long Beach, California. This is Charles E. Fuller speaking.
Remember, we're looking forward to a letter from you this week, and now just before the message, you will hear the quartet sing, Under His Wing. Bibles and turn to the 13th chapter of Job, a portion of the 15th verse, which reads as follows, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. These words just read within your hearing were uttered in the dawn of human history from the heart of a man 
who had attained the highest worldly position of power and prestige. Here in a few words we find one of the mountain peaks of human speech. These words rise above the everyday humdrum commonplace, piercing the clouds above, reflecting the very light of heaven itself. Here is the setting and the background. Job was a real person, not a mythical character that some believe existed or was talked about in the Old Testament days. But he was a real person. And we find, according to God's word, first, that he was a prince, the greatest man of the East in his day. He had reached the pinnacle of worldly success. Second, he was prosperous. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man, according to verse 3 of chapter 1, was the greatest of all men of the East. Third, he was a parent. He had seven sons and three daughters, a large family. And then he was a priest in his own household. For according to verse 5 of chapter 1, he was a godly man, for it recites there as follows. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, speaking of his household, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually, a prince, prosperous, a parent, and a priest, and then in verse 1 of chapter 1, we have God's estimate of this man. For it reads as follows, A man, perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed evil. But without warning, these beautiful, glorious, happy days that Job was enjoying suddenly changes from sunshine uh, to shadow. And if you'll read through carefully the book of Job, you'll find the words as follows. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them, took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants. Uh, with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. That was enough alone. But while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped to tell thee. That's enough, isn't it? While he was yet speaking, the 17th verse goes on to say, in addition, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped to tell thee. That's enough for one man, isn't it? One right after another, and we have the expressions very trite but very apropos, it seldom rains, but it pours. 
And in the 18th verse, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. And I only am escaped to tell thee, stripped of everything, of all his possessions, his servants, and then last of all, his household except his wife. And she might as well have gone, for she said to Job, Curse God and die. And Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Well, we go on and we read about Job going to the ash heap. Goes down and... Besides being smitten with these things that I've read, having all of these difficulties, Job was smitten with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, according to the 8th verse, 2nd chapter. None but the three counselors dared even to approach him. Job's disease was so foul, neither could Job endure to be touched. What a scene! Job, the greatest man in the East, one who had reached the pinnacle of worldly position and power and prestige, now an outcast, the lowest of men, the object of ridicule, the recipient of unjust accusation. With this background, with this setting, bear in mind the words of the text, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And these words were uttered by Job from the ash heap. And may I say that some of the greatest songs, some of the greatest sayings, some of the greatest poetical writings that we have, have come from the hearts and from the pens and minds of men in deep distress from behind prison bars. We would not have had the epistles to Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, perhaps if Paul had not been chained between two Roman soldiers in Rome awaiting certain martyrdom. Now Job's three counselors appear, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. Well, these represent the sum and total of human wisdom, which is from beneath, devilish and sensual. Eliphaz represents the man of science. He argues with Job from the point of experience. Bildad comes along and he argues with Job from the standpoint of tradition. What our fathers have done and said. Zophar believed in salvation by merit, by works of righteousness. However, all three came to one conclusion. They came to this, that Job was a secret sinner, a hypocrite, for they said, in effect, whosoever, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off being innocent? That's man's reasoning. But Job repeats or comes back with these words 
and says in so many words, Will a hypocrite trust in God when he slays him? Will a deceiver cling to God when God is smiting him? Most assuredly not, says Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And here we find one of God's beloved children under severe trial, under deep and heavy pressure, all in beautiful agreement with the New Testament, which says that every son that God receiveth, he child trains. And no child of God can expect to escape child training from the hands of the loving Father. And He loves you. He will child train you and correct you. And you will learn obedience by the things that you suffer. And all true children of God must experience the trial of their faith which is much more precious than gold, which perishes. No wonder Peter writes these words, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which shall try you, as though some strange thing has happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. I'll tell you something. Here's the difference between a man of God, one born again, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and a man of the world. The man of the world, under the same pressure that Job was under, would become sullen, morose, bitter, scornful, even rebellious, and in some cases might plan suicide. Why? Because they are without God, without Christ, without hope, alienated and cut off from the life that's in Christ Jesus. But a man of God, under pressure, child training from the hand of the loving Father, will come a little bit closer. And like John of old, will lean by faith upon the bosom that was pierced by the Roman soldier's sword. That's the difference. If you're under pressure today and under trial and in deep affliction and there seems to be stemming up from your heart a root of bitterness, get down on your knees and confess your sins and thank God for the child training and come a little bit closer, close to Him. Job had God as his refuge. Job, when in the place of desperation, trust God. When all else fails, Job flees to his heavenly Father, waiting patiently in hope, resolving if help does not arrive, to still trust God. Paul in the New Testament went under severe trials, he was imprisoned often, beaten many times, starved and shipwrecked. And he writes, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 
and then writing in the Roman epistles these beautiful words. Notice, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, listen, nor heights nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And Paul said in so many words, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. No wonder we're quiet before him. With the world in the shape that it is in, men's hearts failing for fear, the world has no way, no place of refuge. But we who are born again, we have a wonderful refuge. That's Christ Jesus. Now quickly, just two things, very simple. We learn from this the great lesson, no matter what comes, trust God. This means that if every form of evil up to actual death should come, trust God. For without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You take the first martyr of the church, the stoning of Stephen's as recorded in the seventh of Acts. Stephen's was a man full of the Holy Ghost, of good report, faithful in his work. And yet you read at the end of that marvelous seventh chapter when he was being stoned, these words, he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked and stead up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their feet, their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Just quickly, our Lord, he went to Calvary's cross. He learned obedient by the things he suffered. He endured the cross, despised the shame, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Our Lord trusted his heavenly Father even in the face of the fact that God did slay him. For on Calvary's cross we hear Christ say, First, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then in a moment, into thy hand I commit my spirit. And Christ trusted even though slain, slain for your sins and for mine. He said, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. And in conclusion, I've learned this, that God's ways are the best ways. 
Let all things work together for good to those that are the called ones, to those that love God. I've also learned to know something of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent from the body, we may be accepted of him. And if he should come, I want to be not ashamed at his coming. And so I say to you, fellow believer, trust God. Trust God in the sunshine. Trust God in the shadow. Our times are in his hands. And to you outside of Christ, won't you trust him now for salvation? For God says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. How about it? You who are in darkness, unregenerated, without hope and without Christ. Won't you come and trust him today? Let's bow our heads in prayer. outside of Christ, wherever you may be, seated by your radio, God has been speaking to you. God says, if you hear my word and believeth on him that sent me, you'll have everlasting life and shall not come into judgment or condemnation, but will be passed from death unto life. Will you come now? God bless you. Kneel right by your radio, wherever you may be, and just look up into the Father's face and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me for Christ's sake and trust the Lord Jesus. Believe on him today and be saved. God bless you. Continue in prayer as we leave the air on the old-fashioned revival hour. And we'll have a short altar service. Charles E. Fuller bidding you goodbye and God's richest blessing upon you.